This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co host Laura Spath. Recently, Laura and I both did our blood work independently, and we, we just wanted to do an episode talking a little bit about basic blood work and you know, what markers you should possibly consider getting and what they kind of mean. Just reviewing my own, I, did, I shared a lot of my blood work on my Nutrition with Judy newsletter. I will link to that in the show notes. And I reviewed Laura's behind the scenes and everything looks pretty good. Uh, what we're going to do in this episode is just really talk about you know, what is a standard blood work, what's ideal to kind of look at, what these markers mean. I know that a lot of people will get the results from LabCorp or quest and then not really understand what these mean other than the ranges and the reference intervals and then say, okay, I'm within that and I don't need to worry about it. So let's talk a little bit about the blood work. I know for me, at least like just knowing what to get ordered is hard. When I went to my doctor originally, they do like standard blood work, but it doesn't give us like some specific markers that we like to look for as carnivores. Um, And then I know that I got some pushback after that when I was asking her. So I kind of just ended up skipping, <laughs> skipping it and just going through you completely because it, it made it easier than me having to justify to my doctor like what I wanted. I know Dr. Barry does this thing with, he always t- gives you the advice to say to doctors like, oh, if you're not going to order this test for me and if you're not going to c- cover this on insurance, then I need you to write a form saying that you are refusing to run this test so that if I have problems in the future, then you're responsible. And then like, I don't, that's his kind of snarky way of like trying to handle it and trying to get your doctor to run these specific tests for you. To me, it just wasn't really worth having the conversation. And so, um, I just had you do it, but I do think that's the question of like, what am I even supposed to be running outside of like standard blood panel? Cause I think that isn't 
doesn't really give you a full picture most of the time. And it's tricky because when I get blood work from other people, sometimes it's really light in terms of what they tested. And then some people have a lot more detail. So I don't even know at this point what is considered standard or not. So like one section is the CMP or the Comprehensive Metabolic Panel. The Comprehensive has about 14 individual blood markers that will include your organ function testing, including liver and kidney health. And then they will also test your blood sugar, your insulin, and also like your metabolic panel. It'll also have your minerals to see what's going on with your water balance, your blood acidity, muscular function. So it'll do all the calcium chloride, magnesium, et cetera. Generally, I don't like measuring our minerals through blood work because it's just a snapshot in time, whereas most of our minerals will be in our cells. And so that's where I like the hair mineral test or tests like the Genova ion, or there's another one called SpectraCell, which also measures the what's going on in your cell for about three to four months. And so I think those are better options of figuring out what's your, your cellular function of these minerals. We've done some podcasts before too on like testing and if you should be doing like, go back and check because we did a very in-depth podcast on the hair mineral test and the stool test and like all these other kinds of tests that you should be doing. Like, should you be doing them and should you not? And kind of to summarize that is to say like, you shouldn't be just going out and looking for tons of these really expensive specified tests unless you're having some issues. What we're really talking about more today is just like your general blood work, like stuff that you might want to check on like once a year um, or every six months. Like even if you're healthy, the older you get, it's a good idea to check on things uh, occasionally. So I think that's more what we're getting into today. This was just like quote unquote routine blood work, I guess that Judy and I were doing um, stuff that I hadn't done in a couple of years. So I was really overdue. So I wanted like a full panel. Um, And this is my guess is like something that you would check once a year, even though you're not having any health issues, if that's accurate. I know the CMP or the metabolic panel, as well as the complete blood count, and that's where they check your red blood cells, your red, red, white, um, and the platelets, the um, quantity, the size, those are always standard. And then there's the urinalysis as well. So so the complete metabolic panel will include like glucose, um, your BUN, your creatinine, your kidney function, again, of the EGFR, the bilirubin, and then also your liver function of the AST, ALT, the alkaline phosphatase, and then your CBC, which is the complete blood count is all of those like white blood cells, RBC, hemoglobin, hematocrit, MCV, MCH, all of those letters, the neutrophils, lymphocytes. And that's just seeing how your immune system's doing as well as just, you know, are there any imbalances that can be an indicator that you're suffering from some type of illness? So those are basic. Um, I think they're run by pretty much every doctor when you do a physical. They're very, very economical. Let's talk a little bit about the CBC. Um, Laura, for you in that section, was there anything that was out of bounds? No. Okay. I don't think so. I think, honestly, I'd never even heard of this before, like somebody running a complete blood count um, for me before. Um, And when we went over it, everything was normal. Okay. So my RDW was low. And so I just did a little bit more research on that. And again, um, my newsletter explains a lot more detail of the RDW. What's interesting about that marker is it's the size or the differences in size of your red blood cell count. So if that number is high, there's a sign that some of your red blood cells are really large, and then some of them are really small. And you don't want it to be that different, you want it to be kind of consistent. And when it's 
a high number, there's a sign that there might be illness. So oftentimes that's sort of a pulse on just what's kind of going on in your body. A lot of times like cancer will have uh, different numbers for RDW and a lot of other illnesses. I go into that again in the details of my newsletter. So if you want to check that out, but And I cite a lot of studies as well, but you kind of want that number low. I do notice in carnivores that that number is actually on the lower end. To me, that's just saying that your blood cells are uniform and that is a good sign of health. And again, that's the RDW. Uh, The RDW stands for red cell distribution width. Now I've seen uh, complete blood, blood counts that do not include that marker. So ideally, if your doctor is running this complete blood count, if you could just confirm with them, and say, hey, I just want to make sure that you're also checking my RDW marker because I heard it's really important. And it shouldn't be an issue for them to measure that. Cool. Um, Yeah, I think it's one of those numbers that probably either wasn't checked for me before uh, or was checked and was normal, but I've never um, had anybody discuss that number with me. Or honestly, I've never even really heard about it until we were going over this. Yeah, you know, I never really looked into that marker either. But when mine was low, I was just, I wanted to know why. And then and then I started seeing a trend with a lot of my carnivore clients is that oftentimes that marker is low. And mine is still in the normal range, but it is on the lower side of that normal range. But I mean, sometimes we don't necessarily put a lot of um, trust into the ranges that they give us, right. but t- whatever, for what, for what it means, it's normal. Yeah. Okay, so the the comprehensive metabolic panel, that's more of what everyone kind of knows, the glucose, the the uh, the urea, the nitrogen, the creatinine, the EGFR, the ALTAST. And so we'll dig into this a little bit more. Everyone obviously will get this um, test done. Now, a lot of people on carnivore will see their blood glucose go up or their A1C marker, which is a three-month average of what's going on in terms of sugar in your in your cells. And again, this will really depend on your context. And so if you are eating mostly meat based, and your A1C has gone up, especially since your keto days of just high fat with moderate or lower to moderate protein, it's normal for your A1C to go up because we are eating more protein, it is a little bit more insulogenic, our red cells may live longer, which then the average of the cell living longer will then contain more sugar. And so it's normal for the A1C marker to go up. I get a lot of questions of people saying, oh, no, my A1C is 5.5, 5.6 now, when before on keto, it was 4.9, 5.0. I'm obviously eating the wrong way. And it's not it's actually, um, there's a lot of context when it comes to A1C. And so I do not think that marker in isolation is just good to look at alone. You want to look at your insulin, you want to look at your C peptide, which is another marker to look at to compare your insulin. And um, those together will then determine, okay, my A1C is not something I need to worry about. Yeah, I think that's where too, my fasting insulin number went up slightly, but my A1C is still, you know, nice and low. My um, C peptide numbers are low, like everything else is in like a perfectly normal range. And so it's really just understanding like, what does that look like in the full picture? Um, So I'm still kind of waiting to see I'm one of those people too, who maybe ends up with like a higher base blood sugar. Now that I'm carnivore, like in the mornings, I tend to have a little higher blood sugar, um, under a hundred, but like close enough. Like I'm in the nineties, usually in the morning when I first wake up, even if I haven't eaten since like lunch yesterday. Um, so that's interesting. And that's part of the reason why I've been a little concerned or like questioning if that's okay for my blood sugar to be, um, you know, 
just under a hundred most of the time. And that's kind of where my baseline is. Um, but when I found my out, my A1C was, you know, perfect in that normal range. I really just took away my concerns at that point. And that's part of what had motivated me to get all this blood work done in the first place. Yeah. And I've asked enough experts in this field now. I mean, I had a conversation about it with Dr. Paul Mason, with Dr. Benjamin Bigman, who is, I mean, the expert in insulin resistance. And they all say the same message of your red blood cells can live longer. You are just eating a little bit more protein. And in context, what matters more is that you're not having the really high highs and the low lows. And it's just right. if your blood sugar tends to sit in the 90s and it's just constantly around there, it is not an issue. But again, it's context. And then the last thing is your A1C actually measures your last, um, it heavily weighs the last like five weeks more than the full three months. So let's say you were eating really clean in the first two months, and then the last month, you kind of fell off a little bit, your blood sugar is going to look a little bit higher than the true average of the three months. So there's also that context as well. That's a number that's like, the, the A1C is a number that's just like, so simple to positively improve. It doesn't mean yes. it's easy, but like cutting out carbs, fasting, like you can have drastic differences in your A1C by making some pretty key lifestyle changes, um, doing some exercise, you know, like this is kind of off on a tangent, but, um, I posted a YouTube video where Chris and I talked about insulin resistance this week. And so that was a lot of it. Like you have to really kind of burn out that sugar that's stored up in your body. And so it's, cutting out the carbs that you're eating, but then it's also doing some movement. And as much as we know, I hate exercise and I don't do as much of it as I did now in the beginning, when I was trying to really lower my A1C, um, and reverse that insulin resistance, I needed to walk more and kind of like do some squats and burn out that sugar that was really stored deep down. But you can change your, if you have a high A1C and you really put everything into it for 30 days, you could have a drastic reduction in that A1C. It's possible for that to happen um, if you just take it really seriously. Yeah. And um, just to give you guys context in terms of what is a high A1C, I honestly don't like seeing the A1C, even if you are carnivore above like 5.7. So ideally you want it less than that. Again, even if you're just eating meat, I don't like it too high because when you have too much sugar in your blood, then your blood gets kind of more sticky. And it's when it's sticky that what we call glycation that then sticks to our organs and our systems. And that's what makes a lot of illness happen. So you do not want your blood sugar really sticky and really high. So I think anything under 5.6, I'm comfortable with. And again, it depends on context. If you came to carnivore, and your blood sugar was in 7.0, and now you're at 5.8, I would be very happy with that. This is where blood this is where reading blood work is very tricky. Lots of context. You cannot just isolate one marker and then say, how's my health doing? It really is the big picture of all markers working together um, that can tell a better story. Yeah. Do you know when we first started, Chris's A1C was 11.9. Oh, wow. Yeah. And his blood sugar was like in the 400s. And that ended up, his A1C ended up being like 11 something, I think even after being on medication. Wow. Wow. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. It's scary. Anyway. Yeah. So in that context, right, a 5.86 even would be wonderful. So it's, again, it's just, I would hate for someone to hear this and say, oh no, my blood sugar or my A1C is 5.9. What's wrong with me? You know, like I would hate for people to have that context. That's why we're not really trying to give ranges, but ideally, 
you know, work with someone to figure out in your context with all the blood markers, does it make sense? And are you trending in the right way? And if you see some of these markers come down after a while, like that is a good sign of healing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about kidney function. Um, your BUN, your your EGFR, all of these markers. Uh, we've talked about EGFR in another podcast episode. I'll link to that as well. But oftentimes people will see their BUN or their BUN go up and people get so conf- concerned with that marker. And what I will say is it is very common to see that marker go up. I like to see it against creatinine and then see the ratio Oftentimes, the ratio will be off of the bun and the creatinine because of the um, the high bun. But it's actually quite normal to see that number high. Um, it's because we're eating a high protein diet, and bun is often elevated when we're eating a lot of protein because of protein metabolism and then muscle turnover. So if you're even working out a lot, that will also cause that number to be high. But again, if your creatinine is in a normal range, I wouldn't worry too much about those markers. But again. It depends. Like if your bun is four times the normal range, then I would see what's going on. I mean, something to also consider. And then I also like to consider that against your EGFR. I do not like how LabCorp says anything um, above 59 is considered good health because I totally do not agree with that. From the National Kidney Foundation, these are the average EGFRs they've seen with people without chronic kidney disease. And if you've listened to my content with Dr. Richard Johnson, who's a nephrologist, he's a kidney expert, and he says that anyone that has blood pressure issues that have salt imbalances, that oftentimes there's a low-grade kidney inflammation. And in context, so what the the kidney foundation says is between the ages of 20 and 29, your average measured filtration rate of your EGFR should be 116. Between 30 and 39, it should be 107. Between 40 and 49, it should be 99. Between 50 and 59, it should be 93. And then 60, 69, it should be 85. And then anything, anyone above the age of 70 should at least be 75. And in that context, a lot of carnivores actually fail. So they will show that they are not um, filtrating that quickly. And that to me, the number one thing I'll ask my clients is, are you eating too much protein without enough fat? And that is normally the reason. So they're eating way too much protein. And then it's a little bit more of a stressor on the system. And again, I'm, I'm measuring, I'm checking it against BUN, as well as the creatinine to see what's the kidney function doing, how often are they using the restroom. And, um, and that will give me the context. And oftentimes when we kind of cut down the protein so that it's at most one gram of protein to one pound of ideal body weight, as long as they're eating that amount or less than that, then I think that's decent amount of protein. I think this is one of those trends that we're going to see come about in about six months from now is everybody's going to start talking about this number because the current trend in carnivore that most people are doing is the high protein. Right. Um, not necessarily, I think, thankfully, not everybody's doing this true protein sparing modified fast, but still this element of like higher protein, lower fat is how everybody's losing weight right now, it seems, is the popular trend. And so I will be curious if all of a sudden in six months from now, we see all these people talking about um, those numbers not being correct. Or like all of a sudden those numbers are being a little out of whack. And if I remember correctly too, weren't those like bun numbers, like ones that some of the people who were critical of the carnivore diet were really attacking like a while ago. Yes. And same thing with the GFR. Or people who say you needed fruit and organs and all that kind of stuff. 
the fruit community, I thought it was the thyroid, but it, it could have been the bun as well. But the bun is generally higher on a carnivore diet. Um, not everyone is, but, and there's always a relationship also with your liver. And so if your ALT and AST, which is general inflammation in the liver, if those are high, then there can also be a relationship with your bun being high too. So that's why, again, it's like all this context matters. Non-carnivores criticize the bun and then they criticize the high cholesterol and then they criticize um, sometimes for certain people, the GFR. But oftentimes I see it with people that are excessively working out or they're eating super lean protein. The part that's hard for me to really stomach protein sparing modified fast is generally people that do that on a weekly basis, they're eating 600 calories of just almost pure protein. And then of yeah. that, your body is forced to use energy to break it down. And you're not giving it a substrate of another type of energy of fat or carbs. So literally only a portion of that becomes nutrients or energy for your actual body, even through that gluconeogenesis, which is an ideal. So then maybe you're, I don't know, getting what 300 calories that are will actually get absorbed or used for energy. Well, it's just so taxing on the body. And then if you do that multiple times a week, it's just, for me, it, it's just really hard to see how that's ideal for longevity long-term. And then on top of that, all the people I talk to that do that, they struggle with cravings, mood, um, debilitating energy. And it's, again, I, I get people want to be thin, but there's just, it's a price that people are paying. And then I wonder what people's liver and kidney function are doing, because I have seen carnivores where their liver function, their AST marker, which is a marker of signs of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, those markers are a little high. And so again, I ask, are you eating fruit if or honey? And if they're not, then it's, I look at their uh, kidney function. It's, are you eating too much protein too? And even if you're not restricting the calories like that, I still see this like massive amount of protein. I know when eating a lot of protein and not enough fat, my blood sugar gets way higher yes. um, personally. And I end up having a lot more cravings as well. And so that's, I will be curious even, even if they're doing like high protein, low fat, but they're eating a lot of calories, which is hard to do. Cause I feel like you're stuffing yourself with like lean protein all day, which is really hard. Um, I'm not somebody who's going to enjoy just eating egg whites. And so that definitely makes it a challenge. Um, and I'll be curious, like how this, if this trend continues, um, where people's blood work ends up. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the liver function. I just mentioned it. One of them is alkaline phosphatase. It's just an enzyme that's released. But the other liver enzymes that are that are on this standard panel is the ALT and the AST. And both of them, if they're high, it's showing liver inflammation. And it's a generalized inflammation. So you can still have liver imbalances before those markers show any imbalances. I mean, that's what Dr. Richard Johnson told me. So once you have imbalanced ALT or AST, you're already in illness. And for a lot of people, even in the carnivore space, sometimes I see the AST, AST go up. And again, that's the fatty liver disease. And if you're eating fruit and that marker is high, I would highly recommend cutting the fruit. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really ever, again, yeah, this is something else I really <laughs> didn't dig into before until we did this, but mine all look uh, normal. Yeah. And, um, and then the ALT, sometimes it can go up with excess working out, but generally I do not like to see these markers both higher. You can always rest from working out. Maybe I think there was a study where it showed, 
Um, it's like a seven day window. So if you just stop working out for seven days to truly get that number, um, you can always do that. But generally, I don't like to see these markers high at all. So let's talk a little bit about cholesterol. Um, the lipid panel normally measures two types of fat, which is cholesterol and triglycerides. I honestly like to do this thing called the NMR panel, uh, where it shows the different charts of what your particle size is in terms of your LDL size. So generally, the reason why carnivores or keto people, their LDL goes up is because we also start producing these really big, fluffy uh, particles of LDL. And those are actually protective, whereas the small ones, since they're so small and compact, think about like a highway, there's a higher chance of the small particles breaking and um, erupting and just causing illness. And the only way you'll know the differentiation is if you get the particle size of your cholesterol. Um, you can always bring that up to your doctor because that is something they normally do not check. And you could just say, hey, I struggle with heart disease in my family. I would like to see my particle size because I eat a higher fat diet. And I just want to see what type of LDL I have. Is it the small size or the large size? And if you just say it that way, I mean, I believe that insurance will cover it. So I do recommend knowing that at least once while you're doing a high fat diet, you don't want to see a lipid panel where your LDL is 500 and not really be certain what's the size of your LDL. So you want to check that out. Um, triglycerides are a measure of basically fatty acids or just the excess energy in your bloodstream. So whether it's glucose, whether it's fat, they can all turn to triglycerides in your blood and then it'll get stored as fat. So you will see on the standard American diet, they recommend anything under 150 is considered good for triglycerides because again, you're eating carbs. But for carnivores, ideally, it's best to be under 100. I see some carnivores where it's like 101, 102. And so then I'll take a pulse of, okay, are you just new to carnivore? Is it because you're still eating a little bit of fruit? Are you eating just excess fat um, to the point that you don't need it? And I'll have to dig into why the triglycerides are that high, or if they're coming from a place that it was super high. So again, context really matters. But generally, I like to see triglycerides under 100. When I first went keto and then turned carnivore, my cholesterol went up as like a lot of people do. But in the very beginning, I think I was like maybe six months in, I was like in the middle of losing all that weight. So like you're just shedding so much fat, you're eating so much fat. And like my ratios were really not great either. Um, and really the longer that I did it, the better those ratios came. So like in the, within a course of a year and actually now three years later, my total cholesterol has pretty much stayed the same, but my ratios just keep improving and keep improving. And so while from just glancing at your total cholesterol number, I don't know, we both get asked, I'm sure I get asked every single day uh, what my cholesterol is. And those total numbers aren't really giving you much. It's really understanding like what the ratios break down to. And then until recently, actually, when you and I attended that low carb conference, I didn't even know there was a difference with like small particle LDL and, and large fluffy LDL. And so um, even understanding that more has helped. But where on my blood work that we just did, like what's those particle size LDLs? Like what is that uh, labeled as on here? Um, so if you go to the graphic, you'll see the different sizes for a small, small V LDL. And you'll see oh, that. Okay. So yours looks pretty good. And then I also look at um, when you, when I do the NMR panel, I also add um, the insulin marker LPIR score. And that's the marker I care for more. 
than the one that was in the morning. And so your insulin marker for, um, for the NMR panel is actually in the green range. So it was, it was good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. It looks good. Okay. So that was an interesting, like, that was a lot for me to learn, um, when just looking at the overall cholesterol numbers. So having that breakdown really helped this time. I generally don't like it when people just get the total cholesterol and I think they will get HDL or maybe they'll get total cholesterol and triglycerides. And then it just doesn't tell me the full picture. I like to see the LDL separately from the HDL to then understand where the total triglycerides are coming from. And then also your triglycerides and the insulin and everything else that kind of connects everything. Okay. Okay. I think the last section let's just talk about is thyroid. Um, Generally, people just get the TSH done. First of all, that is just not enough information. So I would highly recommend asking for the full thyroid panel. So that would include, it would be TSH, T4, T3. You can get like your free T3, your reverse T3. And then if you ideally need to check your antibodies, I think that's ideal as well. And that will tell if you have like Hashimoto's or Graves autoimmune illness. And if you have really low energy on carnivore, I would highly recommend just testing your antibodies. Just do it once so to rule out if you have any autoimmune illness with thyroid health. And this is something that I have been keeping up with. I've had thyroid issues in the past, but nothing that was like diagnosed, but I've just more so like hormone issues as well. My mom has Hashimoto's. Um, I'm cold constantly, which I attributed to maybe this is it. I've been having sleep issues more recently. So this is kind of the second reason why I decided like, I needed motivation to get some blood work done was because I really wanted to check on my thyroid and make sure things were um, okay. And I think just looking at the numbers, like I feel a lot better that everything looks great. Um, And I'm a lot more confident with knowing that it's, I definitely am not having those issues. Yeah. You, you don't have any antibodies. Um, I think generally your thyroid, your T3 specifically will lower on a carnivore diet. The argument is that you just don't need as much. And we have T3 periphery, the tissues that are not being measured in this blood work. So the first thing is, if you feel fine, if your energy is good, I wouldn't worry too much about this, even getting this, about even getting this tested. But if you do have low energy, then you may want to just get this all tested. If your TSH is above two and a half. And then if your T3, T4 is really high or really low, those are the signs then that something's a little off on your thyroid markers. So you just want to go check that out. My free T3 has been low ever since I've been on keto. I've never had thyroid issues. When I was nursing my son, my thyroid, my T3 went down to 1.8. I also remember I was fasting a lot, but now I just checked and now it's at, I think it was... It was 2.2. So that's still technically on the low end, but I have normal energy and I do not have the thyroid antibodies and everything looks okay. And again, it's just context. I don't feel tired. I don't feel like I have hormone issues. And um, when I was plant-based, I was cold all the time. And I don't, I get cold sometimes, but it's not like how I used to get cold. There's people that would say, I bet you a thyroid doctor would look at this and say, Oh, her T3 is a little low, but my TSH is 1.4, which is saying that my brain is not telling my body to produce more thyroid, um, thyroid hormone. So I think overall it looks okay. But again, I would, you know, make sure to work with a doctor to get clearance for your thyroid panel, but just make sure to get your TSH, your antibodies if possible. And then all the different types of T4, T3, Um, I think there's even like T7 as well and T1 and 2. 
I would always say to advocate for your blood work. Um, in our other blood work episode, we talked about how to ask for your C-peptide, how to ask for the NMR, um, how to ask for your A1C and your insulin markers. You are the main person that cares about your health. And if your doctor pushes back of, well, why do you need that? The reason why they do that is because it takes a lot of effort and energy from your doctor to ask the insurance to get compensated. And so if they don't feel that you really need it, like you look thin or you are young, they're not going to have you test a lot of things, but I would advocate for it. And a lot of my clients get very nervous with the white coat syndrome. And so I just tell them, hey, my nutritionist is saying I have to get these. And so just blame me of why you're getting the blood work done. Or say, in our family's history, we have blood glucose issues, or we have heart disease, and I'm really concerned. So I'd like to just get a pulse. Yeah, I probably could have gotten everything done cheaper had I gone through my doctor and through my insurance. But I didn't want to deal with that. Like you said, it's possible and you can advocate for yourself. So I just had you do it. Um, but then, you know, that I think that's another option uh, for people is to find a different source for them. And I just learned this most more recently, but um, I think most of my blood work can get covered by insurance. Now you're going to be the one that's dealing with the insurance person. So you'll be doing what the doctor had to do. But I can give you the invoice in a way that will help you. And I should have told you this earlier, but um, so I'll give you that actually, but um, I'll give you an invoice that you can essentially go to your doctor and say, hey, I did this blood work. Here's all the lab core numbers. Here's my practitioner's information. I'd like to get this as an out of network uh, reimbursement and they will cover some of it. And I think that's important. Like when we were learning about this, I didn't hear from my doctor that it was, and this is where I don't even, what we've gotten flagged, but I guess if people are listening this far, then they are in this way of eating and not. Um, but if, if I was trying to hear from my doctor, they would have had me stop this a long time ago because my cholesterol number went up a little bit or, you know, like we didn't know when it was time for Chris to quit taking his diabetes medications or his low high blood pressure medication. He just, all of a sudden his blood pressure dropped one day and he stopped taking it. So it's like, you have to be able to take your health into your own hands in a lot of ways and do your own research and kind of get outside of like traditional doctors, um, and, caveating this with like, this is not medical advice, do your own research, but kind of that's the point. Like, have we learned nothing over the last several years? Like we should be taking our health into our own hands. It's why we continue to do so much research. It's what's led Judy down this passion of this entire career that she's doing. And it's why, even though I have, I don't give out nutritional or, you know, I don't give out medical advice any on any platform. Uh, and I've relatively fixed all of my health issues. I still attend low carb conferences. I still attend, I'm going to KetoCon. These are places that I go to learn more. I listen to podcasts. Uh, I dig into information. You know, I try to find out like not only what's going on with my health, but why are these things happening? And then feeling confident about it and not just kind of like sitting and waiting for some doctor to like give me a new pill or tell me to stop taking my medication because there's no incentive for him to tell me to stop taking my medication. That's on me. And they and they don't know you enough, right? We know most doctors see you for 10 minutes a couple times a year. Um, and they really just aren't going to be able to advocate for you the way that you are. And so that's, it's really why I strongly encourage people to dig into all the information and buy Judy's book and listen to all the podcasts. Uh, and if it's possible, attend the conferences. Metabolic Health Summit just happened, uh, is happening as we're recording this. The low carb conference is happening in August. Um, and we went, Judy and I went to one in January and then KetoCon is coming up. And there's going to be so many doctors and experts that are speaking at KetoCon um, where you are able to hear success stories and motivational information, but you're also able to hear doctors talking about 
why cholesterol is not uh, high cholesterol and what it means. And, you know, a lot of these things I feel so much more confident about after hearing experts talking about it. And so I really would strongly recommend people taking that into their own hands and really being in the driver's seat when it comes to their own health. And I know that doctors can seem scary because they'll just say, man, you know, these doctors have a prescriptive way of reviewing blood work. If certain marker is high, then they're going to get you on medication. And the part that's crazy is like your cholesterol can change drastically in just one week. But that one time they checked your blood work. And if your cholesterol was high, they're going to get you on a statin. And you may not have high markers on other weeks. Maybe you just came back from a vacation and you were eating all the different junk foods you wanted. And that's where I think blood work is a little scary. Sometimes if we get one snapshot in time and we think, oh my gosh, now I need medication. I just had a client test her DHEA and it was 110 and we deemed it low. And she was like, maybe I should get on um, some DHEA, very low dose. We had her test her DHEA two weeks later and it was 200 something and she hadn't taken it yet. And I was like, yeah, maybe we should wait. And maybe we should just instead eat a little bit more fat because fat produced the cholesterol steroid hormones produce your DHA levels. But even in that two weeks, her DHA switched so much. And so the question always becomes, we're making so many decisions by doing blood work once a year and then saying that was the answer. And that's how I need to dictate the medication, everything. And that's not always the case. Your cholesterol can change drastically just if you fast too long before the test. If you're somebody who hadn't eaten since lunch the day before and you go in the next morning and you have your blood work done, your cholesterol is going to be way, uh, you know, out of whack and not showing a realistic picture because you didn't eat in the last 18 hours. I have a client that uh, was trying to get life insurance and his cholesterol was too high. So what I'll say is... So he rigged the system by eating carbs before doing his blood work and it dropped his cholesterol drastically. And people do that because you can manipulate numbers in blood work. So it's just, or if you fast a lot, or if you do a 48 hour fast before doing your blood work, your blood glucose is going to look really, really good. And it's just, so everything's in context. That's all I'm saying is that if you get on medication or you consider it, always think, in context, well, how do you feel? And that's why I'm a big, big fan of trusting your own body and its cues and what it's telling you, um, rather than just a specific number on a lab work that honestly changes. And certain ones change quickly and certain ones take a little bit longer. Like we just heard the A1C changes, but even the A1C, it's actually the five weeks of the last three months. When it comes to blood work, just in a sense, take it as a pulse, but don't think it's the end all be all as well. Yeah, absolutely. Know that it's just a snapshot and go by. A lot of it needs to be by how you feel. Okay, guys, I hope that this episode just clarifies a little bit about blood work and what maybe you should advocate for. And the blood work was on top of our minds because Laura and I both did it not too long ago. And I know a lot of blood work information in terms of my chronic inflammatory response syndrome clients have been coming out. So just wanted to talk about it. The people that are doing SIRS, their blood work is completely different. So it's None of what we talked about really has anything to do with blood work for these people. Okay, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. 
This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>